Well, hello there. Welcome to Journey Through the Epistles with Daniel Babalola. I am Daniel Babalola and I'm inviting you on a journey as we study the epistles in the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I believe that a solid understanding of what is contained in the epistles would serve as a strong foundation for all our Christian expression. And not just that, that when we take the words of the apostles and properly understand them in their context as they meant it to be understood, our entire Christian experience stands the chance of being so much more flourishing. So join me on this journey. Let's go. Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for another morning, afternoon, evening, uh, whatever time anyone is listening to this. Thank you for the opportunity we get to gather, to study your word, to learn, to be transformed, to grow by your word. I pray that even as we take another step further uh, in 2 Corinthians, I pray that there is truth. I pray there is clarity. I pray that your word is able to influence our lives accordingly. There's no confusion and you are glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, of course, if you can see me, you know that this is not our normal setup, but uh, we'll make it work. Uh, I traveled um, over the weekend, so we would have to work with this um, but i hope everyone can hear me just okay at least the quality of the teaching will not drop <laughs> i think i've noticed uh hi ibk good to see you. there's a different vibe teaching sitting down and teaching standing up i like to teach while i'm standing it's like just keep going just keep going but when you're sitting that's like let's flip our bibles let's calm down <laughs> but we'll see we'll see I guess you guys will be the judge of that. Anyways, welcome to Journey Through the Epistles uh, with Daniel. My name is Daniel. Uh, for those that are joining for the first time, um, every Saturday at this time, 9 a.m. CST, 10 a.m. EST, and then it depends on what other time in the world, whether there's daylight savings or not. Uh, for the past two plus years, I actually realized like, we've actually spent a bit of time and there have been... Some people that have been here from the start, they might not come every week as much anymore, but people have tried. And there are people that have listened from a certain people have been here one plus years. People have listened from the start of the podcast and then joined in person. Um, but we've been here for a while. And uh, what we do is book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we try to make sense of the epistles. Why the epistles? Uh, you might have to listen to part one for that. Um, pretty much the summary is no other portion of the Bible most directly speaks to believers than the epistles because they were written to the earliest Christians, which we are. Um, not only that, they help to explain the rest of the Bible, so what we call the Old Testament. And so it's always a great starting point to better understand the entire Bible. Um, what else? What else? What else by way of introduction? Yes, uh, if you want to catch up on previous teachings, 
wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, just search for Journey Through the Epistles with Daniel. Blah, 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 blah. If you have any questions at any point in time in your Bible study, epistle or not, um, you can reach out to me. And if I have an answer, I'll tell you. If I don't have an answer, I'll say I don't know. <laughs> but these are my thoughts. Uh, so yeah, we've been through a lot already. We've gone through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, First Corinthians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, which other one? Philemon, First Peter. We've gone through a lot. We have actually just second corinthians romans revelations um jude i guess and uh, second peter to go my sister said we'll finish 2025 but i rebuke her in the name of jesus <laughs> uh, but without a doubt we will clock three years that one i can't guarantee at the pace we're going with second corinthians we'll be here for a while um, mm. <laughs> so just enjoy the ride as you take this three plus year journey through the word of God. Today, or over the past, I think, eight weeks now, this is part nine. So for the past eight Saturdays, we've been discussing the book of Second Corinthians. And uh, I trust you've been blessed. If you haven't been able to catch up, I really, 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 really want to implore you to try and listen to the past eight teachings. Because if you have listened to it, you would already know that there is a very, very strong line of thought. It's almost as though Paul is not breaking into chapters. Exactly. Like Delight said, Paul really loved these people. He's, he wrote two really long letters, two really long letters to them. First Corinthians has, uh, is it 16 chapters, if I'm correct? Second Corinthians has 13 chapters, if I'm correct. Very, very personal, very, very dense letters. Galatians, just six. Ephesians, six, right? Thessalonians, three or five, depending on which one. This one, 13 or 16. And not only that, like I said, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. And I think Corinthians is one of those places, especially Second Corinthians, is one of those books where it's clear that this is not a chapter verse thing because since chapter two we've been talking about one thing for those that have followed and we talked about it last week chapter two leading into chapter three leading into chapter four and now in chapter five the context the train of thought the subject matter has not changed if anything if you want to break down second corinthians in any way chapters two to chapters six seven will probably be one chapter, then chapters 8 and 9, maybe another chapter, chapters 10 to 13, maybe another chapter. Who can remember or who wants to take a stab at what we've been talking about so far? I mean, I've mentioned it pretty much every time, including the first teaching. Who wants to talk about what we've we've uh, we've been talking about so far? Anybody? Anybody, anybody. What is the main focus of Second Corinthians chapter two to chapter five? I won't promise anything. Don't worry. This is this is assignment <laughs> or quiz. Anybody. Ah. Uh, I'll call names. I'll be like that teacher. I say, well, you. What do you think? What do you think? 
Wat gewoon names. <laughs> All right. I will call in him. Uh, to your if you can. <laughs> what, if you can unmute yourself, I guess. What has been the major focus of Second Corinthians so far? So far. So far. Just can't hear me. I'm not sure she's here. All right, let me ask. Okay, talk about, go ahead. Oh, wow. Talk about, go ahead. I just want to take a stab at it. Sure. Um, granted, I haven't been in class for like a while. Yeah. But I'm thinking, I don't know if this is the major one. But yeah. One of the things I'm seeing is pretty much just like an emphasis on I want to say our insufficiency and the fact that it really is Christ. Hmm. All of the work that has been done, it's really Christ. Okay. Okay. Yes, that is a theme. Thank you for thank you for 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 trying that. That is a theme, uh, and that is also a theme. Um, so, like like Tokwe said, the the weakness of the human vessel as carriers of, of the message of Christ, right? And so tr learning to trust Christ, that is a big theme. Like IBK said, being able to persevere in the face of um, persecution is a big theme. Like Anne said, the efficacy of the new covenant in comparison to the old. But I said this last week, and it's important you keep, keep that in mind, that there is an overarching theme that Paul is talking about all of this in light of, and it's what? It is the ministry of the new covenant. It is ministry. He's talking about ministry. If you remember our very first teaching, a huge part of 2 Corinthians is to remind them about the ministry of apostleship he has received. He's writing 2 Corinthians in the face of a church that is full of false teachers, not only are they teaching the wrong things, but they are also slandering Paul. Like, who is this Paul guy? Paul that can't speak well? Paul that is physically, uh, they've beaten him, is probably using a walking stick or something. There's nothing physically appealing about this guy. He's not a great orator. Um, what exactly about Paul qualifies him to be the leader or to be the the to have any authority in you people's lives. That's what that's what the false teachers were saying. And so a big part of what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians is to present the ministry of Christ. What does it mean to say, I am a minister of Christ? And so that's what we've been talking about starting from chapter 2. If you remember from chapter 2, verse 12, we talked about the triumphant procession, that to some it's, a, it's, a, it's an aroma of death, to some it's an aroma of life. And then like Topper said, who is sufficient for such things as this? If you know that the words you carry literally mean life or death, depending on how people respond, that's a big deal. Think about it. An ambassador knows that, oh, if I don't communicate my message, let's say you're an ambassador of France, you are, in re you are in talks with the president of the United States. I'm saying that because my mom has been watching Designated Survivor for a while and I've watched a few episodes. So that's all that's in my head. <laughs> you're an ambassador, to, um, ambassador of France 
you're you're sent to to represent France to the United States. And let's say there's a trade deal you're trying to broker. You know that how well you communicate that message is going to be very crucial for millions of people. Millions of people, right? Because if you if you if you say the wrong thing, the deal falls through and it's going to it's going to affect so many people. If you say the right thing, the deal goes ahead. Just that kind of pressure, there is a way to then carry yourself. You're not going to say anything by accident. You're not going to leave anything for ambiguity, for misinterpretation. You're going to speak exactly as you have been told. Paul is saying how much more, how much more a message that literally it's the eternal destinies of people. Even if it was just their physical destinies, you're going to you're going to be very, very. If you knew that, if I said the wrong thing, this person is going to be shot in the head. If I said the wrong thing, this person will probably be killed. If I said the right thing, this person will not be killed. There's a way you're going to present the message. There's a care. There's a seriousness, right? That you're going to use to carry on that message. Paul is saying the same thing. That to some, we're an aroma of death leading to death. To, to others, one aroma of life leading to life. And he said it in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? Which, which human being is, is worthy or is, is, is in and of themselves strong enough to bear the message of salvation? Have you thought about it? There were only a handful of people that actually knew the gospel at the start. Imagine if they were all greedy for money. Imagine if they were all fearful imagine if they were all selfish then the message would have been lost have you thought about that that if they did not bear the ministry of christ the way it ought to be bared we will not be here today that's what paul is reflecting on who is sufficient for such a work who is able to carry literally the weight of humanity the future of humanity you we've watched movies where they say oh they just pick five people and say the fate of the world rests in your hands. Don't disappoint us. This is real life. Jesus picked those 12 and by extension 70 and 120 and literally said, go ye into all the world. All I have done on the cross, and we talked about that, I think was it First Corinthians, that all Jesus did on the cross, all the death, the suffering, the sacrifice, the resurrection, all of that being built up thousands of years leading onto the cross, leading onto the ascension, he committed it to the mouth of a few people. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about wh what would be on your heart if you were one of those people? The urgency, the responsibility, the trust and the demand God is placing on your life. That's what Paul is reflecting on. That's what Paul is reflecting on. And yes, we live in a world now today that, oh, you, it's easy to say, if I don't preach, someone else will. But I've, 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 I've talked about this, that even though you might not have been an apostle in the context of Paul, where pretty much the entire world did not know the gospel. We still are ministers. And there is a, there is a sense of responsibility, a sense of urgency we should always carry whenever we handle the message. Because we know that how we handle it can literally mean death or life. Not having the right answer to a question not not being able to speak when you should have like second peter said, being, being able to give a first peter, sorry to give a defense for the reason for the hope that you have 
can literally save a soul or damn a soul. You hear of the testimony of many people that come to Christ. And what, what is their reason? Oh, my roommate. Oh, my co-worker. Oh, we were in the same group in, in, in school. And he spoke to me. That is the mindset we should have. That because of me, someone's eternal destiny can change. And Paul is saying, nothing qualifies the human heart or the human vessel to carry such a weight, such a responsibility. And so that goes into Tokwe's first point, that what? A, a, a theme that Paul is talking about is the grace of God for ministry. Ministry cannot be done without the grace of God, right? So thank you, Tokwe. And then we moved on to chapter three. And that's where, um, what, what uh, I was about to say, Momian, don't worry. Momian, you have to create, sorry, and you have to create a formal request. You will write a letter to me saying, from today, as well, I will appreciate if my name is dropped. And then I'll take it under consideration and I will change your name from Abraham to Abraham. <laughs> All right. uh, but like Anne said, right, he moved on to chapter three. He did not change his train of thought. He was still talking about the weight of ministry and the responsibility of ministry. What was chapter three focused on? He compared the Old Testament to the New or the Old Covenant so that you're not thinking Genesis to Malachi. The Old Covenant, meaning the covenant that God made with Israel on Mount Sinai versus the New Covenant, meaning the covenant that God makes with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about how the Old Covenant was glorious. We read through Exodus during that time. The, the thunders, the lightnings, the ground shaking, God literally speaking, and there's fire, and it's, it's, it's an incredible sight. Not only that, the face of Moses is literally glowing. Imagine if you see your pastor, um, the pastor of your church walks up to the altar, and his face just starts shining. You say, God is here. Indeed, before I was not sure, but now I know that God is on this man. That's how they felt, so much so that they were terrified. And Paul said, indeed, the Old Testament was full of glory. However, like we said, don't worry, I'm not going to quiz us on this. What was the major flaw of the Old Covenant? It wasn't permanent. It faded away. It says, how much more the glory of a new covenant that only shines brighter and brighter. Why is he comparing Again, it's still what we are talking about, the overarching theme that, we've been, theme that we've been talking about across chapters, which is what? If Moses had such an honor to, to be a broker, to be a communicator of the Old Testament, how much more the apostles that are communicators of something even more glorious? That's the point. Again, it's still what? The weight of ministry. The weight of ministry. So thank you, Anne, for, for that contribution. And then moving on to chapter four that we talked about over the last two weeks, which is IBK's point on persecution. He's been talking about the fact that seeing then that we carry, in Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, we carry treasure in earthen vessels. And I talked a lot about that. How as a minister of the gospel, remember that apart from the grace of God, you are nothing. You are, you are just like the donkey that Jesus rode on into Jerusalem. Or you are just like that uh, the box that they put a $7,000 proposal ring. What makes the ring $7,000 is not the... If, without the ring, the box is at best 20 bucks, <laughs> right? The worth 
of a minister is in the message that he carries. It's in the message that he carries. It's in the grace of God upon his or her life. And as ministers of the gospel, we must never let the work of the ministry get into our heads. Never become a donkey that says, wow, I am greater than all other donkeys. See how they are cheering for me. They're not cheering for you. They are cheering for Jesus. Don't be like that proposal box. I say, wow, see how this baby is crying. <laughs> see how people are saying, wow, on Instagram. Wow. They are saying, wow, for the ring. Nobody really will probably even remember the color of the box. It's probably velvet red or chocolate brown or cockroach green. <laughs> right? Don't let the work of the ministry bring you to a point where you start to see yourself as more than what? A carrier of God's grace. A carrier of God's goodness. Because again, this was in the backdrop of Paul calls them as a subtle jab, super apostles that felt they were everything. It's all about me. It's all about what I can say, what I can do. And Paul is like, no, we are simply treasures. We carry treasures in clay. We are clay jars. In fact, we have cracks. We are beaten up. We are broken. What is the reason? He says that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So much so that he had he had a, a, a perspective that's like the more trouble and persecution we face, think about it like, oh, there's, there's this beautiful, shiny object in a clay jar, right? The more you hit at that clay jar and it's starting to break apart, there's a crack here, there's a crack there. What starts to happen? The light is only shining more. That's Paul's perspective. Like the more we are beaten, the more you break us down, the more you stand against us, the more we face tribulations. The message we carry is only being brighter. The glory of God is only being revealed more clearly. And we talked about that kind of mindset, right? That whatever I face in the name of Jesus only glorifies God more. So much so that one of the biggest defense of Christianity today is that the, the people that claim to see Jesus in the flesh, they died with that testimony. None of them recanted. That's how big, that's, that's literally one of the confidence we have that this thing is not made up. Suffering. We talked about that last week, right? That Paul says, um, how did he? Yes, in verse 10 and verse 11, that we carry in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus is revealed even more clearly. So much so that you would see in Acts, Peter and John are flogged, and they go back to their church, they are celebrating that finally we are suffering for Jesus. We talked about it last week, so if you, if you haven't already, please find time to listen to it. How that the message of Christianity has ridden on the back of pain and persecution. Don't let the fact that you live in maybe some part of the West where there's now free speech, where there's now, where Christianity is at least somewhat of a household name to ever deceive you or make you forget that for us to get to where we are today, people died, people suffered, people lost loved ones, people lost body parts, people lost jobs, people lost money, people lost reputation, people were starved, 
People were put in, in, in torture camps to get to where we are. And Paul is like, he didn't start here. Jesus, the very head of the body, how was salvation? How did you get saved? It was through the suffering of God. God in flesh suffered for you. He was hung on a cross. He took on flesh. He was born in a manger. He had to eat Ewagoyan bread like you. That's suffering. Don't worry me. I love Ewagoyan bread, by the way. <laughs> he had to, he had to, what else? He had to trek. He had to be thirsty. He had to be hungry. He had to be tempted. Imagine, it's an insult. God had to be tempted all because of mankind. And then he was flogged, ridiculed, spat on, hung on a cross. So even the very salvation we celebrate did not come on the back of pleasure and riches. It came on the back of pain and persecution. Not only that, the message spread with that same mindset that if my captain, the captain of my salvation suffered, then I'm ready to, to go through all it costs. If anything, I identify, I'm more like Jesus when I suffer for the gospel. And we talked about that last week. We talked about um, the, that mindset that Paul had, that it is even a reward. It is, it is, it is a badge of honor. The same way he would say in Galatians, let no man trouble me. The marks I bear, this is not an angelic mark. <laughs> He's saying, if, you, if I take off my shirt now and you see my back, you will know that indeed I am an apostle of Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. The scars I bear show that I'm, I, I belong to Jesus. It shows that I, I really take this course to heart, else I wouldn't suffer for it. We used the analogy last week of even in our everyday life, we take pride in suffering. So for instance, you see a PhD older and they say, ah, PhD, what, what makes them proud? What makes people like Anne proud? <laughs> that nobody can talk to them again because they have done a doctor. It's because they suffered. Do you know what it means for five years? Sleepless nights, research, reading papers, writing papers, being scrutinized, presenting, starting afresh. You will now finish and someone will now say, what is it? Is it not just paper? They will fight you because it is suffering. It's not just paper. It is five years of blood, sweat, and tears. Right? What qualify? What makes doctors? You say, why are they earning so much money? Can you do, can you go through all they did to get to where they are to be qualified? Or you see someone in the gym and you're like, why do they like, see all these buff, buff guys, why do they like taking off their shirts? Do you know what it means to wake up every day and go to the gym and put your body through pain? And then you are eating, you have to sleep at a certain time, you have to do all these things. We as human beings, we are not strangers to the, or to the concept of no pain, no gain. Even a friend of mine, just recently on her Instagram, I will not call her name, <laughs> was showing progress videos. She should show the progress videos. She made progress. She should <laughs> show. He said, must they show up? They should show up. Uh-uh. Mommy, I'll stop that in the name of Christ. <laughs> They showed progress video. What is that progress? It is pain. <laughs> it is pain. It is pain. And so it's not a strange thing when people insult you for Jesus and you're feeling you're like, wow, 
So I actually carry just on my head so much that people are insulting me. It's a, don't worry, I didn't get back to IJ. I saw it from my sister's IJ. You say, oh, wow. It's a, I, I, I identify with my master. My master suffered to save me. Now I get, it's a privilege to suffer so that someone else can be saved. It's a mindset to have. But again, what is the point? The demands of ministry. The demands of ministry. That's what Paul has been talking about. And as we go into chapter 5 today, the context has not changed. What is Paul still talking about? The, the, the perspective and the mindset of a minister of the gospel. So, at the risk of Momian dragging me or Anne for another lengthy introduction, please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Get all your writing materials and notepads if you haven't already. And we're going to start from verse 1. As usual, I'm reading from the NKJV. Um, yeah, let me drink water. Hi, Karis. Good morning. It's so good to see you. I was going to message you. I saw all your enjoyment. I hope you had a great time. You are more than welcome back. Karis is my guy, so I'm sorry I didn't greet any other person especially. I love you all. <laughs> um, all right. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. I hope we're ready. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Again, this makes it clear that this is not, don't think of this as new chapter, new train of thought. Oh, we're in chapter five. We're starting something new. No, we are not. If the chapter starts with four, <laughs> does it, the new train of thought start with four? Chapter three, verse one, I'm sorry, chapter four, verse one started with what? Therefore. Therefore, so what is he saying? He just talked about treasures in earthen vessels. Everything I just talked about, the suffering, the looking past the persecution to the glory to come. And he says, why, why can we have this mindset? It says that because we know that ultimately, if our body is destroyed, we have a better body from God. And I talked about this, I think, two weeks ago, that if you know that death is not the end. If you know that the message you proclaim or the person that empowers you has defeated death, then you won't be afraid of death. Because at the end of the day, like Jesus said in Matthew, what is the worst thing a human being can do to another human being? It's torture and then death. If you know that even in death you are still victorious, then nothing, there's no threat that a human being can make that would prevent you from, from proclaiming the message of Christ. And that's the mindset they had. They're like, at the end of the day, what's the worst they would do? Kill us. It's like, okay, death is not a big deal anymore. The very point of our message is that Jesus has defeated death. I will not lie to you. I, if, sometimes I wrestle with that. I, I remember in, in, uh, in college, I was thinking about the idea of of. Uh, of of suffering for the gospel. And I'm like, God, very cowardly prayer, but can you really blame me? I said, God, I think I don't mind taking a bullet <laughs> for the gospel. I say, oh, if you don't renounce, just we'll shoot you in the head. I'm like, sure. Is it not instantaneous? But please, 
don't let me end up in the hands of people that will touch on me because <laughs> I don't like pain. I don't like physical pain. That will say, we'll clip out your toenails one by one, then we'll chop off a finger every day, then we'll put burning eye on, then we'll pluck out your eye. I'm like, ah, ah just kill <laughs> Please, just kill me. Don't don't let me be like those disciples that they first will put in boiling oil, they first flog, then they'll stretch them. Just just shoot me. If at all I end up in, just cut off my head. <laughs> just shoot me. But at the end of the day, death is the, the greatest thing a person can experience in the body. If you know that your master has defeated death, then there should be confidence that there's nothing a human being can do that would prevent me from living for Jesus. Right? And so what does he say? He says, if our earthly house, he calls, he calls this earthly house, he calls this body an earthly house. So there are two analogies being um, going on here. And you can take notes, right? Which you should be. The first one is an earthly house versus a building from God. That's a house that is not earthly. The other one is a tent. He calls the earthly house a tent, and he calls the other a house. I think in the King James, if you want to open quickly, he calls one a tabernacle, and then he calls the other a house. If you've read through the Old Testament, this is brilliant from Paul. And what do I mean by that? If you, rem if you remember at all the story of Israel, when they came out of, of Egypt, when they passed through the Red Sea, when they were journeying through the wilderness, how did they, where did the ark of God reside? Where did the ark of God reside? It resided in tents or in a tent. So much so that there were chapters dedicated to how they would pack up the tent, pack everything when they are moving. Whenever they camp somewhere, they set up the tent again. And then what then happens? They move into the promised land. And then David one day is sitting down. He builds his land. He's like, wow. He finished building a, a, a house for himself in Banana Island for those that are in Nigeria or in Manhattan, New York, or maybe LA for those that are in the US. And he's like, how can I be living in a house? This majestic house. And the the ark of God is still in a tent. And God is like, and I want you to pay attention to that, right? Because think about it. David said, I will build a house for the Lord. Because I saw a comment in the chat that so this human body is made with hands. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. This is a nerdy Old Testament, New Testament mishmash, right? This is one of the reasons why the epistles are beautiful. Because a verse like this can open up so much. But if you remember, David says, I want to build your house. And God says, I'm the one that brought you here. I'm the one that made you king. Do you think that it is somehow your prerogative to build me, God, a house? He says, no. I would raise, I will raise a son. He will build me a house. We see an earthly fulfillment of that in Solomon. But where do we see its fulfillment? In Christ. Christ is that seed of David that builds the Lord a house. What is that house? You are that house. 
Do you see that? A seed of David will build a permanent dwelling place for the presence of God. Where is that permanent dwelling place? It's the believer. But again, let's go back. Let's let's take a few steps back. Let's take a few steps back. So as Israel journeyed through the wilderness, which, as we're going to read on, is that same idea. We going through this world is that idea of journeying through the wilderness. As they journeyed through, the ark was placed in a tent, a, perm- a temporary, rather, residence. What does the ark symbolize? It's the presence of God. It's the same thing Paul is going to talk about. We carry the Holy Spirit. In a sense, we are moving arcs of the covenant, or we are moving temples, right? And that's why we sing that song that, God, you have made me a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I will be a living sanctuary, or I am a living sanctuary for you, right? Because God has, if you read John 14, that's the whole point, that God has chosen to dwell in humans. But we see that analogy starting all the way from Exodus. The presence of God dwelt in a temporary tent. The same with the Holy Ghost dwells in weak mortal bodies right now. But then as we see in the Old Testament as well, as soon as they crossed into the promised land, many, many centuries later, they built a permanent dwelling place for God as a temple. More magnificent, more so much that you can't compare the tent to the temple. It's the same ark that sits in the middle, the same presence of God, but the, te- the temple was so much more, so much more glorious than the tent. And that's what Paul is reflecting. That's the analogy he's drawing. That right now our human bodies are like tents going along through the wilderness, carrying the presence of God. That there is a promise that even when this tent is destroyed, there is a tabernacle, there is a, or rather there is a temple that God has prepared. That God has prepared for us. A tabernacle where we will, or a tabernacle that we will have where the presence of God will dwell forever. A more befitting, if you will call it that, abode for the presence of God. So as you're reading through, Paul wants you to know that it's not just a story about architecture. I know sometimes you've read through Numbers or you've read through Deuteronomy and like, what is all this? Does it, I remember I was reading this just earlier this year. I, I even went on YouTube to see videos like, oh, the, 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 uh, the, the, there must be two pillars at the start. These things on the head. The walls must be layered with this. It must be done. You're like, why so much care? I want to. I want you to look at these verses with a new, with a new sense of excitement. That see how much care went into. First of all, the designing of the tent was pretty impressive, but then when it was time to design the temple, and that's what Paul is reflecting on. It's like what God has prepared for the human condition is so much more. What we would be in the resurrection and in the glorification is so much more greater than what we currently are. And it's a motivation to live for God because you're like, even if this is ultimately destroyed, there is something greater that lies in store for me. So he calls it an earthly house versus a heavenly house. He calls it a tent versus a building. 
And so when he uses the analogy of earthly house and a house not made with hands, you might be wondering, does that mean this human body was made with human hands, <laughs> right? Not necessarily, not necessarily, right? If if you read, if you remember um, second, First Corinthians, I believe, when we're talking, First Corinthians 15, and you can read about that, um, he talks about, he, what he's saying is, or let's go to Hebrews 9, 11. Sorry to take you on. I, I think it's worth it. Hebrews 9.11. Hebrews 9.11. 9.11. That's ironic. He says, Christ came as the high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. So in Hebrews, it's a different context. Now he's comparing the temple in Jerusalem to the heavenly temple that Christ, and we've gone through Hebrews, so for some of you, for most of you, I'm sure this is not a new concept. But when he says not made with hands or not of this creation, what is he comparing? He's comparing the physical to the spiritual. At the end of the day, of course, nobody, no human being physically molded your hands or molded your body, but your body was still ultimately physical ultimately physical right john one talks about that that we were born not of the will of man that's talking about it's not two people did not come together and say let's have a baby until you appeared no he's saying now this is god saying i want to make a body for these people i want to make a body so he's comparing physical to spiritual and again spiritual does not mean immaterial because we've gone through first corinthians 15 because when we hear the word spiritual we're thinking Oh, does that mean my new body will not have any physical form? No, <laughs> right? It's still a body. It's a building. It's a building. It's a building. And so it will have a form. <laughs> it will have a form. Similar to Jesus in the resurrection. That's what we read in First John. We don't know what we would be like, but we know that as soon as we see him, we would be as he is. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he could walk through walls. He could be in many places in different points in time. So in a sense, it was not purely physical. It was a spiritual body, but it was still a body. And so Paul is being very metaphysical here, so much so that I'm sure if you're talking to non-Christians, like, what are you Christians? Are we in Marvel? What are you talking about? A a new body. How? But that is what we believe. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that to some it's foolishness. It's to some it's, it's ridiculous. So much so that when they heard Paul talk about resurrection, resurrection from the dead, like he's mad. But that's why we are called believers. This is what we believe. That when Jesus comes, our bodies will be changed. Our bodies will be changed. And this idea of not made with human hands, it's a very strong idea. Starting from David. From the moment God rejected David and says, no, you are not going to build me a house. That's the idea, that it's not of human will. What God has prepared for the, for the human condition cannot be achieved by human effort. That's the point. That's the point. It was more than David. Because as always, the story was always bigger than the actors in the Old Testament. It was more than David. It's that, no, nothing that I will do will be ascribed to human effort. I myself would raise up. Someone that will build me a house. Someone that will build me a house. 
The same thing Paul um, that we, we read in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He says he refused to say he was sojourning. You can open the Hebrews 11 from verse 8 to 16, wandering around. Why? He was looking for God's city. God's city. The same way Jesus is the mediator of what? God's temple. It's the same way we are looking forward to what? God's, the body that God has prepared. Does that make sense? Right? And he goes on. He says, for in this we groan, verse 2, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Again, we see the same idea of, as we see in Romans 8.22, which we will get there. Somebody say, amen, we will get there. <laughs> but it's that same idea that anytime you think about the limitations of the human, of your current body, what is the natural response? It's groaning. It's groaning. Here he uses a different analogy in verse 1. He uses the analogy of buildings. Now he's using the analogy of a cloth that we're going to put on a new garment. You're going to take off your nightgown and put on a three-piece suit. <laughs> Amen. Right? And there's, there's a sense there that when you think about all this body goes through, you think about the temptations, you think about the, the, the hardship that it costs you to follow Jesus, there should be a longing, there should be a groaning for a better body. And we're going to get there in verse 4 again. I'm just going to touch on that and then we'll go on. So he says, for indeed, having been clothed, we will not be found naked. And so what is he talking about? We're not just going to be spirits floating. Read yourself of that idea that when I get to heaven, I'll just be a spirit with a harp and I'll join the angels and we'll be singing hallelujah for all eternity. That's not your destiny. <laughs> you will have a body. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. What is God doing? What is the human project? We'll talk more about that in Romans, forgive me. But in summary, God wants to be in a relationship with people. And we will, we will always be people. We will always be human beings. I want you to, to know that that is, that is our destiny according to scriptures. Jesus lives on for eternity as God and man. We also will live on for eternity as man indwelt by God. And so whatever that looks like as far as fellowship with one another, fellowship with God, with eternal life, that is a better description of what heaven will be like or what the new creation more accurately will be like. And so that's why he's saying that we will not be found naked. We're not just going to die and that's it. We're spirits floating around, um, immaterial, or as some people say, we, we just become joined back with God. We lose our identity. We die. Our spirits just somehow integrate back into God. And that's the end. No. He says, we will not be found naked. We will be clothed. And then in verse 4, it says, we who are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And I want to, I want to, I want to put this to you that if every day you're not living in a sense in which you can feel yourself groaning, maybe you are not as focused on eternity as you should be. If you are not aware of the, the, the limitations of your flesh in your communion with God, that there are times you say, oh, I just wish I could have prayed a bit more, but you are tired. 
oh, I wish I didn't say this. Why is why why is sin so so appealing? I wish I didn't feel this way. If you've not felt like that, then maybe you are not as focused on eternity as you should be. If you are not as you are not aware of the pressure of sin, even in your as as saved as you are, you can you you can feel sin constantly tugging on your heart. I just lie now. Or is it not just one night? Or is it not just you, you can feel that distraction, feel that temptation. If you are not aware that, oh wow, why do I find it easy to watch a movie from the moment I get to get back from work till it's time to go to bed? But the day I say, let me read my Bible, all hell breaks loose. If those things don't bother you, there's an issue. Be honest with yourself. How satisfied are you with life as it is? Anyone who communion and intimacy with God is their primary focus will not be comfortable in the flesh. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. And so this is a hard check for you. If I'm not groaning, like I said earlier, maybe I'm not as focused on eternity as I should be. If I find so much delight in food and entertainment and pleasure, and just having a good time, there's an issue. If I'm not aware that of, of my weaknesses, my propensity for sin, my inability to be as, as, as united with God as I should be. Even beyond that, let's even go to even just the, the general description beyond the human heart, the human body, sickness, frailty, there are so many times I just I just think of I'm like this human body is so weak. Small bacteria, you see, oh, the person caught a fever and died, just like that. Or cancer, like oh, the tumor is growing. Like ah, ah, the human body is so weak, so weak. Like oh, he was having a shower, he he slumped and died. Ah, just like you just fell and you are gone, you are gone. Is it like that they die? So weak. That's why Ecclesiastes were here today, gone tomorrow. So much so that every day you are alive, is, it's, it's, it's a cause to thank God. I saw on the news recently, somewhere in Pennsylvania, a, like a couple of houses just exploded. Why? They were built on top of abandoned landmines. The people didn't know. And so maybe one of the mines, one way or the other, just got activated. Boom. Father and son, gone. Imagine getting a call. Oh, your house just exploded. Like ah, your not only that your husband and your son dead. If those things don't bother you, or like me and my friends joke, I remember when we. Now I I have noticed even currently I'm I'm on vacation with my family, and we're going out like every day, right? We're going going to like museums and we're walking around. By three, just two three hours of walking, I am tired. I'm, I'm like I just want to go home and sleep because I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm sure some of you can. You, on Saturday morning, you just want to lie in your bed. It's because there's adults and you're old. Just only say, I am getting old. Repeat after me. Say, I am getting old. <laughs> and you can feel it in your body. It's a three and three is long. So <laughs> you can just feel it that you're not as, maybe for some, maybe, I don't know, you're not as energetic as you once were. Or you, you say, oh, uh, let's go hang out now. We'll be out till 2 a.m. You say, eh, 2 a.m.? I can't, I'm sorry, I can't come. I have to be in bed by 10. 
you are old. <laughs> you are old. So even that you can you can see, or like for many of us, especially if you're in your twenties, you're in that phase now. You're starting to see your parents; they are getting older, and you're like, oh wow, daddy is no more that. Hey, I can trust daddy. Daddy is everywhere. Mommy is no more as active as she used to be. They're getting old. They're getting old. Eventually, time and death catches up with everyone. If that doesn't bother you, there's a problem. If you are not aware of the limitations of this human body, then you are you you are too distracted. Whether it's just with sickness and death in general, or whether it's with sin and our our propensity for sin, if it doesn't bother you, check it. Check it. You're probably too focused on your next paycheck. You're too focused on on having fun. You're too focused on money. You're too focused on pleasure. You're too focused on whatever it is. But you're not focused on God. Because if you are focused on God, every time you spend in prayer and in study, every time you feel your heart pulling you away, you're like, God, I can't wait to put off this sinful flesh. I can't wait. I can't wait to exist in a form where I just want to please you. I just want to live for you. I just want to live in communion with you. Because at the end of the day, that was the ideal. <clears throat> We're going to, I don't, okay, let me not promise. But has he ever surprised you? Because it, you read the story of the garden and it, it's not, a lot of times we think about it as, oh, things in the garden were perfect. And then we fell from perfection. And now we are trying to walk our way back to what we had in the garden. You might need to read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, maybe a few more times. That's not what is presented. Because at the start of creation, man was presented with a responsibility. There was a goal in mind. There was a goal to be fruitful, to multiply, to cover the earth. In a sense, you are born in Eden. Let let the whole earth become Eden, meaning that life outside Eden was not exactly the same as life in Eden. And it was man's responsibility to spread that. Again, I don't know if we'll talk about it more in Romans, but I think that makes perfect sense. Right. There was a place outside Eden that was full of that was wilderness. Right. That's where they were cast out of. The goal was to be fruitful and multiply. Not only that, not only that, at no point in the garden did man eat of the tree of life, meaning that there was a goal of eternal life that was offered in the beginning that we lost out of. And so what God is doing is not perfection for back to perfection, is the offer of perfection. It was a call to perfection. We misbehaved and God is still charting our course back to what Adam missed out on. Not necessarily what Adam had and lost, but something Adam never even had. A reality for creation, a reality for himself that we never, we never reached, we never got to. And so let that, let that, let that bother you. I mean, even the very idea when we say, oh, we are mortals, the word mortals in the Greek is the word thanatos. It literally means liable to die. The very description of humanity now is tied to death. Tied to death. Tied to death. And so when God says, or when Paul says we groan, it's something everybody, saved or not saved, 
if you're saved, you should be able to, you will probably grow even more. And that's what Romans 8 was talking about. It's not necessarily tongues. He's saying that now because you even have the spirit of God in you, there is a greater awareness of the limitations of the vessel. It's what we've been talking about. Treasure in clay. Treasure in clay. The moment that treasure comes in, it, there's a greater awareness that something is not right. Something is not right. And it's that groaning, that longing for the new body that the Holy Spirit helps you with. Again, we'll get there in Romans 8. Right? But I hope that makes sense. Thumbs up if it makes sense. If what have to, if verse 4 makes sense, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right. Okay. Awesome. We're together. We're together. So yes, it says, for we were in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but because we want something better. I want a body that does not fall sick, that will not walk around a museum for two hours and is, is tired. And then you say, oh, uh, take this drug. You have a fever. <laughs> I, I, I want a reality where I'm not losing loved ones to pain and death. A, a world where God, where there is, where I, I, I can freely commune with God and I'm not checking my watch every 30 minutes. That is the groaning that Paul is describing. A place where I'm not, my, I'm not being insulted and flogged and ridiculed and persecuted because I bear the name of Jesus. Those are the groanings Paul describes. And then he goes on in verse 5. It says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Again, going back to what we said, that not made with human hands is not a work of flesh, right? It is God. It is God. It is God. This is what God wants. This is what God wants. It's the same thing in John 1 verse 12 and 13. As many as received him, he gave them the right to be what? Children or sons of God. He says that they are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, meaning they are not human. It's not, it's not, this is not a, a let's have a baby. No, it says, but they are born out of the will of God. Out of the will of God. Out of the will of God. It says, this very thing is God who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee. The same thing in Ephesians 1, right? It's the word Araborn, a pledge, a deposit that, oh, I am going to buy this thing of $1 million, take 100K, take 100K. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. And so as believers, Paul is letting us know that the Holy Spirit in us is a guarantee that we will be changed. And we say it, we say it a lot, right? But I, I want you to 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 dwell on it. It's, it's, it's the same idea that in the Old Testament, there was this confidence that we have the ark of God with us. There was a guarantee brought. Oh, we're not going to lose this battle. Oh, we're not going to lose this war. Oh, we're not going to be without direction. Why? God literally dwells in our midst. And so no harm is going to come to this temple because this presence of God is there. And that's why when the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, what was what what was the the it was not just a thing of oh my god, we've been defeated. No. For this for the for the serious 
um, Christians is not the word. The, the serious-minded Jews among them, it was a clear statement. God has abandoned us. Because if God was still in that temple, there's no way that temple would have been destroyed. And I think that makes sense, right? If, so, if Imagine if God says, my, my presence is, he gives an item and says, wherever this item is, my presence is there. If you carry that thing with you, would you ever be scared of accidents? You say, nah, how can, how can God give me this, 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 uh, let's say God gives you a watch. He says, as long as you wear this Apple watch, my presence is in this Apple watch. Nothing can happen. If you, wherever you are going, you carry that Apple watch. Whatever you are doing, you wear because you'll be like, ah, without the watch, maybe something would have happened. But if this watch is here, God's presence, God has promised me his presence. And that makes sense. A lot of people can can grasp. In fact, if I start to sell that today, people not people buy it. This is my lucky charm. But we still find it hard when we have you thought about God lives in you. His spirit is in you. Not in an ark somewhere that Israel had to be when they when it got stolen. They're like, oh my God, they've stolen the ark. We are without God. No, God lives in you. God lives in you. What was an ark to Israel? What they had to travel once a year to go to say, oh, let me go and meet the Lord. You carry it on a daily. It's a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. And so there's a mindset that Paul Paul wants you to have. That I have the spirit of God in me. I can't be destroyed. Like think, literally, that's the point. Even if this body is gone, there has to be a bet. It can only get better. It can only get better. This is a spirit that God has promised. In Matthew 28, it says, I will be with you forever, always into the end of the age. <coughs> same thing in <coughs> the same thing in John 12. And so we carry something that is indestructible, which is what? The Spirit of God. And so it makes sense that ultimately, if anything, it's just the vessel that will change. It's just the vessel that will change. And so when we say the Spirit is a guarantee, it's not just something we've heard in church so many times and now we're like, oh, glory. Think about it. God lives in you. You cannot die. It Like it... It makes sense. Doesn't like it doesn't make sense. God lives in me. I cannot die. It, it, it makes sense. The author of life resides in me. How will I die? If you cut off my head, do you think that's no, that's you just killed the physical. There's something even better ahead. Why? Because God's spirit has bound himself to me for eternity. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> if this was a preaching <laughs> session, or if when physically in church, this is a great time, like, like when you did to rejoice about it. It is a guarantee, not just theologically for your head. <clears throat> Say drink small water. It's it's glory that is the glory of God. <laughs> it's the glory of God. Bella, I'll drink water. <laughs> Thank you. 
So yes, I hope it makes sense. So when he says the spirit is a guarantee, this is what should be going on in your mind. I have the spirit of God. I have the spirit of God. Amen. He goes on in verse 6. So we are always confident. Why? Because of everything we've just talked about. There is a greater temple ahead. I have the spirit of God. I will not be found naked. I'm confident. Confident where? Confident in the face of persecution. Confident bearing the, the name of Jesus. Confident with the demands of ministry. But I also knew, verse 6, that while I'm at home in the body, I am absent from the Lord. And so he says, I'm confident. I'm confident of what is to come. I know that this is not it yet. So there's a goal of humanity, which is to be present with the Lord. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with one another in God. And so I want you to, again, think on this verse. While you are in this body, you are absent from the Lord. You are absent from the Lord. And so it's what is he saying? Is he saying that God is not here? He just literally said his spirit dwells in you. But he's saying the same thing he said in verse 2, verse 4, and now in verse 6. There is a limitation. As far as communion and intimacy goes, there is a limitation that our earthly bodies have. And so at best, all we can do is do things to be more, in quote, present with the Lord. But we know that it is not it. Have you been in some of these worship meetings that it's, it's almost like you are in heaven? And by that, I mean like you are with God. And even then, like it's so glorious, so profound. Like for me, it's many times when we're worshiping God, like in the true sense of we're focused on who God is. And let's say you're in a place, they're singing, um, hallelujah, holy, holy. And it's just... It's, it's another world entirely, all right? But even then, you know that there is still more. There, there, is, there is such a proximity with God that if I get to I will die, <laughs> right? It would be like Enoch. He was Enoch walked with God and he was not. God just took it. He says, we can't, we can't keep talking on this level. Oh, yeah, come and die. Let's have... Let, so people describe it as they were just gisting. Enoch and God were walking on the road and they were having a conversation. And it didn't occur to any of them. Enoch just walked out of, <laughs> he just left his body behind and just kept talking with God. <laughs> I like that analogy. <laughs> but that's the idea that there's only so much intimacy I can have with God in the flesh. Or there are times where, let's say you were praying or you go for a retreat and just two days, three days, you're like, wow. You, you are so aware of the presence and the goodness and the glory of God. But even then, you know that it's not it. This is just this is just a taste. That's what Paul is describing. That we know that as long as we are in this body, there's more. There's so much more. And so what is the what can we do in the meantime? Do your best. Do your possible best to be more present with the Lord, even now. Don't joke with your times of devotion. Don't joke with your quiet times, your times of prayer, the times where you and your friends just edify one another. Surround yourself with 
with sources of inspiration and reminders that keep you fixed on God. Keep you fixed on God. Because already we are not necessarily at an advantage as it is now. Yes, we have the Spirit of God and glory to God, and that's what He helps us with. But like He's like Paul says in Galatians, feed that, feed those impulses. Don't kill that desire to pray. Don't kill that nudge to read your Bible. Don't kill that nudge to worship. Spend time in the presence of God. Spend time with God. Spend time with God. That's one perspective. That's one perspective from this verse. Another, right, is is a bit crazier, right? And and so it's think about it. This is Paul, a minister facing suffering, and so he's like, I don't really care. It's still, I'm confident, right? Because I know that while I'm in the flesh, I'm not fully with God. So all the beating, all the flogging, all the threats of death. I'm confident. Why? Because I know that if they kill me, that as soon as this body is taken down, I am going to be at home with the Lord. Right? So it's 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 almost suicidal <laughs> that I don't really care what life throws at me because already I long to be with God. I know that while I'm in the body, I'm absent from the Lord. So you might as well do your worst. I will keep preaching this gospel because if anything, you are only helping me to meet my goal, right? That's what Paul is saying. And then he goes and says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Of course. So everything we've talked about, he's saying that we don't walk by what we see. We know that there is something more beyond what I can see in this flesh, what I can see in my experience. We talked about it in the last verse of chapter four, right? That we don't look at the things that are seen. And I described that, that the persecutions, the sufferings, the trials, by application, whatever the earthly world throws at us. But we look at the things that are not seen. What are the things that are not seen? The glorified body, the promise to come, um, fellowship, even better fellowship with the Lord. He says the things that we see are temporary. The things that we don't see are eternal. He says it again in verse 7. We are walking by faith and not by sight. It is because we walk by faith that we are confident of a life after death. If it's because we walk by faith that we are able to take on opposition. Again, what is the overarching context? It's ministry. Since chapter 2, it's been ministry. It's because of faith that we are able to do whatever the gospel demands. Why? Because we know, we know, we know that there is more to come. There is more to come. Verse 8, we're going to probably wrap up in verse 10 today. It says, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. It's the same thing he said in Philippians, right? For me, living means living for Christ. Dying is even better. The only reason that I have, the only motivation I have to stay alive is because there's still more work to be done. He says, I'm torn betwixt two, to depart and be with the Lord, which is better for me or to stay which is better for you can you talk like that again verses like this at least what it does for me and what i hope it does for you is it it should ask you to reevaluate your heart posture can you make a statement like that that i am well pleased to be absent from the body and to be present with the lord for some of you 
with what you have seen in adults and you're like this is an easy yes now i'll stop paying mortgage and uh, insurance and car loan let me be absent lord <laughs> i don't have to wake up 9 a.m on monday morning and start driving to to be absent is really better. Adulting has changed your mind. Maybe when you're in school, like, no, I still want to marry. And God, take me after my wedding night. <laughs> now you're like, I don't, even that marriage, <laughs> it can't wait. God, just carry me, carry me away. But it should ask you to check yourself. It should ask, you say, as, you say, do you get people have given? I remember when I was much younger, I said that God, please, please, if I told you I'm going to come, let it be after I get married, maybe a month after marriage, God, please come. Now <laughs> everybody will be fine. If God wants to come during JTT now, please, Lord, Maranatha, take me away. What is a marriage? Well, marriage is still a beautiful thing, guys. But as in Adulting, when adulting has given you one or two, you say, ah, you know what? <laughs> I'll count my losses and I will depart with the Lord. <laughs> but it is a hard posture to have. The people that are, that are active on the chart, you can tell. Just as you, after this, just take note of that and squeeze $100 because adulting has done one or two things. <laughs> but it's a hard posture to have that at any point in time, you are more comfortable on earth. Your desire to stay is, is stronger than your desire to be with the Lord for the wrong reasons, right? Because Paul, right? Ah, if we talk about adults and honestly, by the time we are done with you, you just call your parents and just, just kneel down and say, thank you, because I don't know how you did this. You juggled bills. Because think about it. They are literally, as I started to get older, I'm like, Adults are literally just children who grow up too fast. Just like every one of us. No one, no one prepared us. All of a sudden, you just find out that, okay, I'm married now. And so I'm still trying to be a better person. I have to think about my partner. Then I have kids running around that somehow they are looking to me for all the, all the direction and care in the world. And then there's now the financial responsibility it brings. And in all of this, I'm juggling ministry. I'm juggling devotion to God. I'm juggling career. I'm juggling being a loving husband, being a loving father. You would start to be a bit nicer to them. That, oh, I understand the days when they were too tired. I understand the days when they fled out in anger. It doesn't make it right, but it is very understandable because they've been through a lot. Then you add family members calling for money. You add drama from church drama from work drama in relationships some of you you have not even married but you've already been through so much shaggy <laughs> you've seen how you've chopped breakfast you've seen shaggy in relationships <laughs> and then now you are, in, you are in marriage right and it's a lot there's just so many moving pieces and it varies from age to age. So in your 30s, you are thinking about childbearing, um, having children, toddlers. In your 40s, now your parents are well into their aged years and they're starting to fall sick a bit more. They're like, they're, it, death is really looming. And then you have friends that are losing their parents. You have friends that are struggling with childbirth. All sorts of things. And it's like, what is this? What is this? And I don't want to discourage you. I do truly believe that there's still a lot of, a lot of positives 
in our lives. And I do believe that if done God's way, there's still a lot of joy and goodness in the world. But it would be very naive of you to not realize that there's also a lot of pain and suffering in the world. And we trust God to shield us and also to give us the wisdom to go through the ones we do go through. But life is not easy. It is not easy. It is not easy. So be a bit kinder to your parents. Be a bit kinder to your friends. If you're married, be a bit kinder to your partner. If you're in a relationship, you're married like me. Sorry, I forgot to add that. If you're married like me, be a bit kinder to your partner. If you're in a relationship, be a bit kinder to your to your partner. Be a bit kinder to your friends. Be a bit, just be a bit kinder. People are going through a lot, right? It is very short-sighted or selfish of you to demand so much of others when you know that there's a lot you yourself you're going through, right? But anyways, that's not what we're talking about. Um, like I said, check your heart. These let let's let teachings like this bring you to a point where regularly you can if you work with a to-do list, you can even put it Sunday evening. I will just reflect on my life. Am I can I like Paul in verse four say, Oh, I can feel myself groaning in anticipation of what is to come? Can I like Paul? In verse 8, say that save ministry and the responsibilities God has placed in my hand, I will be more pleased to be absent from the body. If you can't say that, then maybe check it. Your priorities are not as they should. You still have attachments that are stronger than your commitment to God. Than your commitment to God. <laughs> Abby, I like that. Right. And then verse 9 and verse 10 as we round up. It says, therefore, therefore, because while we're in this body or we're not in this body, our goal is to be with the Lord. It says we make it our aim. Whether we're with him, whether we're not with him, the goal stays the same. And that's what I was saying, that pay attention. Even now in this way, you don't say, ah, I'm not present with the Lord. Okay, God, whenever we jump with you, when I'm present with you, We'll pick it up from there. He says, no, make it your aim. Whether you are with God, that's after death, in case you don't know what with God means, after death or before death, I will live a life that is pleasing to him. And that's what second, I'm sorry, not second Corinthians, Ephesians 2 verse 10 talks about that we were saved, right, to be his workmanship, created unto good works created unto good works that in this on this side of eternity my goal is to live a life that's pleasing to god on the other side of eternity to even be much more easier because there will be hardly any opposition to stop me from doing that but whichever one i'm going to live knowing that god is my focus yes i have earthly responsibilities yes i even have earthly pleasures that god has permitted me to enjoy Right again, I don't want to make it seem like oh, you going out on a Friday night is, is, is somehow a bad thing. No, God made I, I, I think about it like God made those feelings. Yes, the devil and the flesh perverts it any way they can, but the feeling of having a good time with friends it is God given, friendship is God given, marriage is God given. The fact that those relationships make you feel good is from God. 
where the perversion comes in is priority and expression. How are you going to achieve that God-given feeling? Is it through you and your guys smoking, drinking, and gossiping? That's not God. That's not God. But is it going to be exactly? He does give good gifts. And so I don't want to make it look like, oh, I want I I desire to have a good time with my friends. That is God. That is, is God that gave that to you. Oh, I want to have a good time with my partner, with my wife. That is God. Or with my husband. That is God. Oh, I, I want to find fulfillment in work. Or, or I find fulfillment in work. I want you to know that that is also God-given. What did he tell Adam to do? He put Adam in the garden with the responsibility to, to work the earth. So it is not a bad thing. I don't feel like anything that is not prayer, Bible study, and uh, worship meeting. Any desire of pleasure I get outside those expressions. No. We've, 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 we've come too far for you to still be thinking like that. I've explained this to you already. The feeling of, of, of lying down or walking through nature and you're just at your calm. It is a God-given feeling. The feeling of, of, of friendship, of fulfillment, it is. Where the issue is, is like I said, it's always priority and expression. We talked about that last week. What the devil will do is he takes those desires and he asks you, how badly do you want them? Or what are you willing to do to get that desire? And so the desire for sexual fulfillment, it is from God. But then the devil comes in and says, how badly do you want this? And then you go out out God's, God's intended way and you begin to dabble in pornography, in fornication, in adultery. That is where the sin comes in. In its, in its priority and in its expression. In its priority and its expression. Oh, I want to be able to take care of my family, my parents, my friends. I want to be able to, if my friend is in need, I want to be able to, to assist them financially. That is a noble, God-given desire. But then the question is, how badly do you want money? What are you going to do, expression, to get to that? Oh, I want companionship. I want friendship. How badly? I, is it going to be so much of a priority that you now start to value the approval of men over the approval of God? It's the same thing in the garden. Oh, wisdom. It is a God, the desire to be wise. I want you to know that the desire to be wise is God-given. But then there were two approaches. Either you listen to the devil and seize wisdom for yourself. I will decide what is good and what is evil. Or you are like the guy in, in Psalms that trusts God to tell them what is good and what is evil. And that's why I said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is a way to seek wisdom that completely boycotts God. And you find out at the end, it doesn't. if you ever listen to the devil or listen to the flesh, that desire will never get fulfilled. And so it becomes a vicious cycle where you're only going deeper and deeper and deeper trying to fulfill a God-given desire without him, without him. And that's why it becomes worse and worse. And so you see that sin becomes even more sinful. Disobedience in Adam becomes murder in Cain, becomes proud murder in Lamech. And it just gets worse and worse until God is like, we have to start again, as in the flood. That's what sin does. And so check your heart. If we, if we are as reflective as we should be, sin will not have 
dominion over us because you're like, okay, I really feel like I want to do this or I, this is something I feel I need or I want. Many times it's God-given. But then ask yourself, am I going to trust God's way? It's the same, and that's what the narrative in Genesis paints. Every human being stands at the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil many times a day, many times in their lives. Where you are asked, am I going to trust God to know what good and evil is? Or am I going to listen to the serpent and choose good and evil for myself? Am I going to trust God, trust his wisdom, trust his patience, trust his timing for whatever desire I have, desire for companionship, desire for sexual fulfillment, desire for friendship, desire for, for, for even pleasure, right? Relaxing, vacations, all of that. Or am I going to pursue these desires? And I'm like, God, with or without you, I must fulfill this desire. Anyone who makes that decision will only end up hurting themselves. So there's fulfillment in work, but you're like, God, with or without you, I'm going to. And so you, you end up making money and the pursuit of wealth and career an idol. You end up making the pursuit of pleasure an idol. And that's what we see in society today because it's one thing for it to break down in one person's life. Now multiply it where everyone is selfish and is pursuing their own fulfillment at the expense of God. That's what gives birth to societies like we see. We live, many of us live in such societies. Why is the why are the societies as bad as it's because as a collective unit, we are pursuing, let's say, pleasure without God. We are pursuing money without God. So it, we we bring up ridiculous laws that don't value people. And so it's about work, work, work. People's lives are not that important. Or people's families are like, what's my business with your family? Come on, are you going to work or not? It's because as a society, we've placed money above God. You are wondering why every movie, there must be sex scene. It's because as a society, we've placed the pursuit of sexual pleasure above God. You're wondering why as a society, um, people, people, it's there's, there's an increasing divide. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. It's because as a society, we are only getting more selfish. And so as a Christian, there's a perspective on the human condition you should have that the world does not get, which is that the world is saying, oh, let's put this law in place. Let's do this. Let's do that. You see better. You know where the issue. The issue is the human heart. The issue is that as humans from the beginning of time, we are pursuing God-given desires without God. That can only change in Christ. And so the greatest gift a Christian has to his world is what? Is the gospel. Political reforms can only take us so far if the heart of man is not changed. If the heart of man is not changed. I don't know how we got here, but I just found out we did. Let's round up, right? Verse 10, the last verse for today. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of us, may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So not only is our desire to be with God a motivator to, to live right in the world, the second one is we know 
that when there will be a day that everyone saved and unsaved will stand before God. Of course, like we've talked about in first Corinthians three, when you stand before God as a believer, it's not a matter of damnation or condemnation. Your works will be judged, especially as ministers of the gospel. Remember in second Corinthians, first Corinthians three, he says that there will be some that will stand before God and their work completely. Imagine laboring 70 years for the Lord, and it's burned up in one instance. Why? Because your heart was not right. It says they will be saved, however, as one that escaped through fire. Meaning, you'll be saved, but it will be as though you lost everything in the process. You'll be no different from a man that was pulled out of a burning building where everything he owns. He's, he stored up cash, his passports, his visas, his documents, everything he owns, burned up. Meaning, you only saved yourself. Everything else you've worked for, gone. That's how that's 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 going to be the reality of some people when they stand before God. And so the, the encouragement is live your life in a way that you know that yes, I'm saved, but I would still give account of my life before God. Did I live for him or did I live for myself? Did I preach the gospel? Did I maintain its integrity? Did I prioritize him over everything else? Over everything else. Amen. And so with that, we, we pause today on Paul's, um, Paul's conversations on ministry. We're still going to go on next week and talk about, sorry, not next week. I'll give that as an announcement and talk about the ministry of reconciliation. But today, still talking about ministry, what is our emphasis? We have a glorious body waiting for us. There is a, there is a goal there is something that we should fix our hearts on that teaches us how to live today. There is a perspective that if we are aware that God has prepared something better for us, we are not going to settle on this side of eternity. There's an awareness that if we're going to stand before God, then we would live a certain way. And what, what, what keeps us going? It's meditation. I was going to talk about that it's in my notes for the next part of this verse, but I'll end on that. How many of you remember, you probably watched Passion of the Christ. Maybe you were in secondary school like me, right? And do you remember that, if you remember, at least if you if you guys had a heart, you see the flogging and you know that part where it sticks on his back and then pulls it out and then flesh and everyone's like, oh my gosh. And it's a very, very, like watching it as a group, it's a very, very, gory scene and what almost always happens after you watch passion of the christ first of all they give altar call and everybody comes out <laughs> that's that's the first the first result the second result is for the next few days maybe a week or two if you guys are good students in your school everyone tries to act well i remember i think we watched it in like gs2 or gs1 which is a uh, seventh grade or eighth grade right if you're in the u.s um and I remember then because, of course, we're all immoral. So the girls, let's say when the guys are reaching out, to all the girls will say, no, we're not doing anything with you. Why? They've watched Passion of Christ. As guys, many of us used to swear, like we use the F word and all of that. None of us would, none of us would curse or swear. We're all good. And then I remember a few days would pass and then somebody snaps and use the F word. Like, oh my God, you just used the F word. And or a girl would would finally giving to a guy and they will misbehave. And we're like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. And little by little, everyone returns back to normal. 
what happens in those scenarios? Is it that uh, uh, what is it that their their momentary repentance, if I should call it that, or momentary sanctification, was it fake? No. Even though I I, I think we should be careful of emotionally manipulating people, right? I do believe that what happened when we watched them, because many of us, in a sense, we believed the gospel, right? I, I, in just one, just two, I believed the gospel. I believed Jesus died. I didn't know it well enough because I wasn't discipled, right? But I believed it. And so when you watch those movies, do you think what was happening was fake or was not from God? I don't think so. I do think that it was from God. And we're going to talk about it in verse verse uh, 14 and 15. That if we believe that one person died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves. Because think about it. Why do you think it bothered you that much? It's because you believed that what everything you were watching on that screen, they were doing it for you. That's the reason it bothered you. If you did not believe the gospel, you'd be like, uh, who sent this? Your reaction would be, who sent him? <laughs> right? have, you, have you thought about it? The reason you guys reacted the way you did is because you believed this verse, that he, that he died for you. He died for you. And you believed the, the implication in verse 15. That if he died for me, then I can't just live anyhow. Someone went through all of this for me. But what happens that one week later, it's like we never watched a movie. It's the same thing I'm telling you to take note of. It's devotion and meditation. It means that if every day, if every week, you can just take out time to think about it, God went through so much for me in prayer, in meditation, you would live better. Because if a movie could have kept you for a week and you are, you, you, you are intentionally running away from sin, an undiscipled believer, how much more a mature believer that keeps the sacrifice of Christ at the forefront of your mind? It means that at any point in time, we find the pleasure of sin to be so strong. We find ourselves saying things we should not, acting in ways we should not. Check it. Somewhere in your, in your, in your faculties, you've not stayed on the word of God. You've not stayed on what Jesus has done as well as, as long enough as you should. Maybe you've not prayed as much as you should in recent times. Because what does prayer, fellowship, intimacy, what does it do? It keeps you focused. It keeps what is important as first priority so that you don't lose focus. Why do you talk to your partner every day? Why do they recommend that if you're in a relationship or you're in a long-distance relationship, for instance, don't go two or three days without at least checking up on one another? It's because lack of communication models up your priorities. All of a sudden, you're not really as interested about their day. Why? Because you've not you've not kept in touch. It's the same thing in our work with God. That's why we pray. That's why we fellowship. That's why we meditate. Because if you allow the world to creep in, all of a sudden, you would not exactly, you would, you would not be as aware as you should on the sacrifice of Jesus and the responsibility it places on you. But check it. Any believer that wakes up every day and is able to, I, I recommend, start the day in reflection and prayer, end the day in reflection and prayer, 
plan their weeks, plan their months, and you, you take out time where you remind yourself who God is, what he has done for you. It will be a lot easier to live for him during the course of that day. And so I want to challenge you. It's the same thing we've said about the groanings. It's the same thing I said about, can you say like Paul, I would rather be absent from the body. If you can't relate, it shows that you've not, you've allowed or you've not spent as much time as you should meditating on what you've received in God. If you, if you do, the things of this world, it's, it's, it's that beautiful song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful, his glorious face. And the things of the earth would start to go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you focus on Jesus, if you turn your eyes and fix your eyes on him, we read it in 2 Corinthians 3, we are transformed more and more. If he becomes the chief focus, it becomes easier. But if you are always, you look to Jesus Monday, you look to Jesus in the morning and then you don't come back. You are looking at the world, looking at the world until Sunday before you focus on Jesus again. It would be very difficult. The things of God can't go dream. They'll just become more and more attractive because as humans, as, as creatures of influence, we, are, we become what we see or the things we see only grow bigger. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's no, it's no coincidence. You see, you say, behold this, behold that, look this, look that. That means focus on this, cast your vision, fix your attention on this. Don't let it ever leave your minds. And so I want to beg you, let on a practical level, we've gone through a lot of verses, a couple of verses, 10 verses, but on a practical level, if there's one thing you're going to take away from today, let it be an intentionality to focus on God. You're struggling with sin. You're struggling with temptations. You're struggling with this, that. You're struggling with priorities. Focus on God. Make it a priority. And you would see how things would get easier. Amen? Amen? Amen. With that, we come to the end of today's teaching. I hope you've learned something. I hope you are blessed. I hope you are reminded of the truth of God's word. Um, before I share the benediction, any questions? Any questions? Any questions? All right. Um, oh, sorry. Okay. Another yeah. question. Um, sure. So, yeah, is it because of like the like how you were saying like the um the vulnerability of like the human body mm. like that's one of the reasons why we need to continue like reminding ourselves and like you know. Reflecting on everything, just exactly, exactly. Ourselves in line with God. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because we're in this body, it's hard to do it. Not only that, the danger of not doing it is that is that same thing I say every time. You you step out the day you come back, virtue has left you. You've probably heard something you shouldn't have. You've seen something you shouldn't have, or you've said something you shouldn't have. And so, as believers, that's why the 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 pro salvation happened the day you said yes to Christ. But the sanctification of the soul, it is a lifelong journey. It is a lifelong journey. And it's because, and it's one of the reasons we also grow. You're like, God, God, I don't want to struggle with sin anymore. Like, not in a, because again, Romans 7, we have victory by the Spirit. But I don't even want to have to fight with, fight this battle. 
And one of, and like you said, it's because we're in this body, but there is victory by the spirit. And so we intentionally, that's why Paul would say, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the loss. It's, it's, it's literally an instruction. You don't want to fulfill the loss of the flesh, walk in the spirit. It's another place you would say, put off the old man, put on the new man, right? You say, mortify your members because we still live in this body. And so every day we wake up, you say, you look, look at the mirror and say, I will kill you. <laughs> Whatever you see in the mirror, don't say, today I will kill you. <laughs> All right. So, yes, very, very good, um, very good contribution. Any other person? All right. Um, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to always reach out to me. I will be more than willing to answer your questions. Let's pray. We'll share the benediction and then we can call it a day. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the teaching of today. Thank you, first on a theological level, the reminder that there is so much more in store. The glory and the joy that comes and the humility that comes from knowing that we, out of every creature or creation, spiritual and physical, you've chosen to dwell in us. I pray that the truth of this theological truth is not just something that stays in our heads, but it warms our hearts and has full expression in our lives that indeed we carry the spirit of God. I also pray, Lord, that by extension, that we live every day in this earth, in this body, knowing that there is something greater, that we don't settle for what the world may offer, we don't settle for, for temporary pleasures and temporary glory, but we seek what only you can offer. Help us to live a life that is meaningful from an eternal perspective, that our priorities, our visions, our hearts is truly and truly fixed on you alone. Thank you, Lord. I pray for anyone who is struggling on a practical level with devotion and growth and and just being able to quiet the, their hearts and focus on you and i pray that there is strength for them i pray that where they can be vulnerable to receive help from their friends and their christian brothers and sisters they are able to do so that as believers every single one of us we would prioritize our relationship with you in jesus name amen Amen, amen, amen. Thank you all so much for your time. Like I said, it's always a pleasure doing this with you on, on a Saturday morning. I love it so much. And I hope, and I'm, I, it seems like it's worth your time. So that's always very encouraging. Um, at this point, I'm sure we can see my screen. Let's unmute ourselves and read the benediction. So graciously prepared to us by Buki and Ayo. <laughs> Together, one, two, go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word. The word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I am By the word, I am in righteousness and in the word, my spirit rejoices. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Thank you all. Um, oh yes, announcements. We will not be meeting, I'm so sorry, <laughs> we will not be meeting next week and the week after. Um, 
because of logistical reasons. But uh, he says, ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Two weeks. Yes, I apologize. I really do. Um, ma, you said no break again. Yeah, I did. You. I did. I did. But something happened. Things happened beyond my control. Two weeks. We might meet in two weeks. I would text. But next week we can't meet for sure. Everyone here is on the on the broadcast link. If you aren't, please send me a message. Um, <laughs> Please send me a message and I'll add you to the broadcast link. Um, someone could help just put my number in the chat. But next week, we will not be able to meet. I'm going to work hard to make sure we're able to meet in, in two weeks. But uh, just give me, just have mercy on me. Um, next weekend, we might not be able to, to meet. But two weeks, we'll probably, yes, I will do my best. We'll, we'll, yes. For now, just one, okay, let's do it like this, guys. For now, just next week, we're not going to meet. Assume it's just one week, and I'll communicate for sure as early, like from Monday or so, that we're going to meet the week after. All right? Um, I apologize. I will see you all in two weeks, by God's grace. Um, all right. Have a great week, guys. Is anyone joining for the first time? All right. Now we've come to the end of today's episode, and I hoped that it blessed you in many more ways than one. And if it did, I want you to do a couple things for me. The first thing is I want you to take out some time to pray and to meditate over the things you've learned in today's teaching and to see how you can begin to apply it to your life, starting from this week. Because it's important we remember we're not just to be hearers, but doers of the word as well. The second thing I would appreciate is to think about someone you can send this to. If this teaching has blessed you, then pass it on to a friend, to a coworker, to someone you know who needs to hear this. And finally, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, leave a comment if you're feeling up to it, and I'll catch you in the next episode. God bless you. Bye.